This is the Business Storytelling Podcast with Christoph Trapp, available on Google, Spotify, Apple, Pandora, and other podcast channels. Want to play it on your iPhone? Just ask Siri to play the Christoph Trapp Business Storytelling Podcast, also available on Alexa. Here's Christoph with today's episode. Hey, business storytellers, how's it going? Christoph Trapp here, your host and author of Content Performance Culture. Today, we're trying something different. We're once again live on all the different channels, Twitter, Periscope, Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, et cetera, et cetera, um, streaming out of the Restream Live Studio Europe. We talk about that yesterday. And we are also trying this. We did have a little bit of a struggle early on here, but we are trying to live stream it to Clubhouse. Clubhouse, if you haven't checked it out, it's a live um, audio app. You can have conversations with people. I'll be quite honest, it's not integrating exactly the way I would like it to integrate because we're on video here. And uh, Clubhouse is iOS only currently, and uh, you know you just have a conversation. So basically, I put the iPhone on the speakers, and hopefully you can hear me. Hopefully you're going to be able to hear my guests. We'll see if it works. If it doesn't work, why not? Um, let me turn that down, as always. How do you turn that down? Um, so today, we want to talk about testing. We've talked about that before at length, we even have done a um, demo of Google Optimize. Um, but I always like to invite new guests on the show. And today's guest, Ron Stefanski, he uh, is the one-hour professor over at onehourprofessor.com. Ran across him on Andy Crestodina's blog, Orbit Media. And of course, you've heard Andy on the show before. Um, Andy is a fantastic thought leader when it comes to content marketing. And, and Ron wrote a great article over there on the blog. So I thought, hey, I better connect with a guy, see what he has to say and see what he wants to share about testing in marketing. Let's see if we can get Ron on the show here. There he is. Technology's working. We're winning. We're good. We're good. Thanks, Christoph, for having me. Really uh, excited to be here. And hello, everyone out there. We uh, we are winning for technology. That's half the battle. <laughs> so Ron, uh, tell the one hour professor, What what what's that? So I've had kind of an interesting um, path into online entrepreneurship in a way. Uh, so I started uh, online, uh, well, when I started One Hour Professor probably in about, I'm thinking maybe 2013 or so, when I had real no success with online business at all. Uh, I basically started it. I, I, If you've ever followed Smart Passive Income, Pat Flynn, um, I kind of came across the idea of, hey, I'm going to... I'm going to go out there and I'm going to compete with this guy directly. That was silly. Uh, I was a newbie, right? I had a lot of years of corporate marketing experience, but never had focused on the online business part of it. So I thought at the time, hence the name One Hour Professor, I'd create one hour courses and I'd just absolutely do really well in the market. That doesn't happen, right? That didn't happen at all. So uh, I ended up basically kind of pivoting a little bit and saying, okay, let me create uh, websites and blogs about other things. And I had over the years built up a portfolio of websites I have about eight of them now uh, that all do pretty well. Um, and yeah, One Hour Professor has been the one place that I've stayed consistent that whole time. Uh, I've really focused, I really focused last year a lot in 2020, focused on the branding uh, and building that out. So we have a YouTube channel under the same name uh, with about 12,000 subscribers. And then I have the the website itself. And it's, it's really my home base. It uh, helps people create and market online businesses. I'm mostly focused right now on helping people understand how to create and uh, market blogs, but we just kind of, you know, I'm kind of focused a little bit now on YouTube as well. And the eventual idea is to kind of be a hub for people that are trying to create an online business 
you know, regardless of the model, retail arbitrage or Amazon FBA, and kind of be that that place that people go to first. That's the long-term vision. We're not there yet, but like I said, I really started to work on it in 2020. And the one thing I love that you said it is, it's the home base. Drives me crazy when people go, um, oh, we, you know, we're in all these channels, but we don't have a home base. You have to build your house on, don't build it on rented land, right? Have a website, yep. um, have whatever. And when you talk about testing, do you typically talk about testing in the sense of the website or do you, uh, like, where, where do you recommend marketers focus their testing efforts? I mean, to me, you know, like I said, I've been in the corporate world of marketing and now I've been doing this this whole thing myself since I believe about 2015. So I've been in this this game a little while, overall about 10, 11 years. Generally speaking, testing, in, in my opinion, any campaign that you are partaking in, uh, if at all possible, I believe in testing. I believe in A-B testing, multivariate testing for the simple reason that, um, you know, you can think, and, and when I was early on in my marketing career, I was pretty naive and thought I could, I could kind of read the minds of, you know, the audience and stuff. Uh, but you, you, if you start really paying attention, you realize that uh, a lot of times, even if, you know, usually you you can kind of hit it, a lot of times you're off. Uh, so what you find is that your intuition steers you one way to say, this is going to be the winner. And then testing will basically uh, help you realize that no, actually that wasn't the winner. Data is telling you otherwise. And then you never argue with the data. So generally speaking, any campaign, any, I mean, I, I really focus on blogging and YouTube, generally speaking. Uh, so I'm a big advocate for testing different things there. But in my opinion, anything, if you can put a test in and it's not cost prohibitive and, you know, it, it makes sense for a campaign, I think any company should be doing that and any, any individual entrepreneur as well. But you should do it everywhere, right? I mean, or just yes. on the website. Where would you where would you start to test? I mean, yeah. If you're talking about on the website itself, if you're talking about like, are, do you mean like variables on the website that you test, or but yeah, like whatever channel you're on, absolutely test everywhere uh, as much as you can That's because everywhere. yeah, because because some people think like, oh, you know, I'll kind of just go this way, like. For for instance, I, I really usually focus on blogging, right? And that's where I'm always testing and using uh, different tools to run these tests for me in the back end. But um, you know, when it comes to YouTube, even still, you know, figuring out, hey, you know, because in 2020 is really when I focused on it, figuring out my voice and figuring out the intro and figuring out do I need to tell people to like and follow, you know, all those little things. Those are little tests that I've been doing within even the videos to get the. The video format to where it's engaging, informative, and really where I want it to be. So, regardless of whatever content or whatever um, platform you're on, yeah, I, th I think you should be testing everywhere. Uh, like I said, as long as it's not cost prohibitive and it makes sense for the organization in that certain point in time, but it always really should uh, because data never lies. That's one of the things I tell everyone just it doesn't lie. So, if it tells you this is the right thing, that's where you need to go and stop. Don't argue with data, just go with it. Don't argue with the data. But of course, there are also false positives. I mean, we sometimes we actually had Mark Asquith on the show and we talked about it and I totally picked a horrible example. I know it. And he he knows it, too. But but I said, you know, people now my, my podcast ranks now um, and it does. Right. Because Google now indexes podcasts. And one of my podcasts was showing up for uh, background images. But but people weren't searching for how to remove background images, which is what the podcast was about. Mm -hmm. They were searching for how to do a podcast image. So very different. So I got yes. all these results, but totally irrelevant. 
So when you go about uh, testing, though, I know you, you really dove into this a lot on, on, on Orbit Media, um, but what should you focus on? What should you test? I know, so I've done A-B testing. We talked about uh, Google Optimize, and I dove in there, and there are some things to, mm -hmm. to learn there. But what should people do when it comes to testing? What's a, not, not to use a corporate um, you, you know, jargon here or buzzword, I guess, but what's a low-hanging fruit? How should I get started if I haven't done it before? Yeah, so me, in, in regards to testing, I really focus on testing as I do it because I, I'm stretched in. I mean, there, there's some bigger organizations that can test every element on a page, paragraph formatting, all this different stuff. What I usually am focused on whenever I'm testing because I'm you know a pretty lean shop is I'm focused on the, the particular things that can really drive revenue for my organization. So for me, that usually involves testing uh, the different types of call to actions and the pop-ups on the screen and basically figuring out how I can get people to sign up for my email list. That's really my focus at all times because when I get people into my email list, I'm able to then obviously uh, you know, get find ways to get them to affiliate offers or my own products and generate revenue from that. So when I'm looking at optimizing and, and running A-B tests, multivariate tests, well, really it's mostly A-B tests. I don't really run, well, no, I shouldn't say I do run some multivariate tests, but when I'm running these different tests, I'm doing it in an effort to basically increase the opt-in of that particular offer, right? So that's really always been my focus. And also not just testing um, like the forms that are that are popping up, right? Or, or sliding in or, or seeing like things that I'll test too is how long until a form shows on the page? Or is it like an exit intent, you know, type of thing that's going, that's when it's going to show up. And just testing how long it takes for the form, the look of the form, the um, obviously the words, the, the copywriting on the form is probably one of the most important things on the pop-up that you have because you need those words to really entice people. So, you know, you may find that, you know, get this free course today doesn't convert nearly as well as get this free course today to make more money or, you know, as a really generic example. So testing that is obviously very important as well. But I just focus on those high level um, things that can actually drive revenue. That's really where, where I focus. And I put most of my time there. Like I said, I mean, you can, you can test a bunch of different things, headlines, graphics, videos, buttons, uh, colors, offers, fonts, layouts, you know, there's a lot of different things that you can test. But if you're, if you're kind of like a, a running lean, like I am, test the things that are really going to impact your bottom line. That's really where my focus is. Yeah, I mean, you really certainly can test everything. That's it's yeah. a it's a, it's true. I mean, even somebody asked me that, what would you test on the website? And I'm like, there's like 18 different things you can test, but it depends on yeah. what your goals are. So if I have a an, an article, so let's talk about that. A lot of us are are creating content. We're trying to draw people in. We're trying to stay relevant. Um, and just a really quick shout out. I know we mentioned him before, Andy Crestodina. If you're watching watching on Amazon Live, uh, we're highlighting his book, Content Chemistry. 61 reviews, four and a half stars. Uh, certainly, I, I appreciate everything Andrew has done. Uh, Andrew, Andy has done for the content marketing world out there. His thought leadership. But let's say I got a, the, the, my blog strategy, Ron. And what, like, how should I format my content? What should I test? I mean, do I have calls to action? Do I, like, you know, how how do I um, put testing into a content strategy that's trying to drive top of the funnel? Yeah. Uh, so generally speaking, so I'm not, I test different types of um, pop-ups and I should say that the the platform that I'm using for this personally, and a lot of these platforms will do a similar thing, 
But the one that I like is called Thrive Leads. So it's part of Thrive Themes. That's the one that I've plugged into all my different websites because it's kind of what I got trained on and, and it works pretty well. But um, I test the different um, pop-up form types. Like I'm, okay, I don't know how you are, but personally, I'm not a fan of pop-ups. And I know there's probably a lot of people listening and say, oh, I don't like pop-ups. And it's, you know, it's just something that I don't enjoy and it kind of ruins the user experience. At the end of the day, again, you have to follow data. So you could say everything that you want, but you never know till you test. So for me, I usually will try different types of forms. For instance, there's what they call the placemat when right when somebody arrives on the page, you know, there's basically an opt-in right there. And, that, and we've all probably seen them, but then you have to scroll down to actually see the content, right? Um, I just did a test of that versus a straight up pop-up that pops right in and shows them, you know, a totally different version of it. And surprisingly, even though I've heard otherwise, the pop-up for me ended up uh, actually converting better. So I think the pop-ups are going to be a huge thing that people need to test. But beyond that, talking about specific, you know, in, in blog posts and things like that, I think that um, a good way to test within there is just within the content actually have, you know, where you have maybe just a link. And then if somebody clicks on the link, you know, talking about like, you know, hey, if you're interested, download this free PDF, right? Like some type of generic uh, text there. And then when they click on it, if you can bring, you know, it depends on what function or what tool you're using. But if they click on it, then you can bring something onto the screen like a pop-up, but an action-based one, right? Because they clicked on it, that then asks them to input their information. So having the text in there and, and just not, because I feel like a lot of people, they have the idea of we're going to have the content and then we're going to have a box, right? Like in the middle of the content to where it talks about this special offer, which, you know, you should test that too. And you should see which one works. But I usually like to just have the text and then like a hyperlink that people click on. And the reason why I like that is because I feel like it's less intrusive uh, and, and through testing, I have found at least on my blog that that actually is converting pretty well when people are clicking, it converts better. That said, I did get less uh, overall signups because I feel like when you have a box that's a call out onto the, on the content itself, it's a little bit more, um, and it interrupts the users while they're reading a little bit, but it's very clear what that call to action is, right? In my instance, it wasn't as clear. The conversion was much higher, but the, uh, I guess the awareness of what I was offering wasn't. Uh, but I went with that because I'm just trying to be less intrusive. So it really comes down to what the strategy of your blog is. But yeah, when you're talking about writing actual blog posts, you know, I, I definitely recommend that you test uh, the actual text itself being hyperlinked to an offer. Uh, I think that everybody should be testing that to see without a specific call out. Uh, and then also putting a call out within the content too, right? Test that as well. Uh, to see which one will actually convert better. Uh, and then also definitely at the end of um, all my blog posts, I make sure it's actually right after my blog post before the comments. Um, I have an opt-in there as, as well, which I've tested. And that uh, doesn't, obviously it doesn't drive a ton of signups, uh, but that works. So, you know, I've gotten some signups from that too. So I think just thinking through, you know, should I go intrusive? Should I not be intrusive? And testing those things and then determining what best for your blog, your organization, because I think that's such an important thing to understand is that there, there's always going to be a give or take, uh, regardless of which one you choose. You just have to determine what you really want to lead with. And me, like I said, I want to do less intrusive, just click on the text. So, And I do like the text as well. I mean, I remember the points guy, for example, who, of course, um, the pointsguy.com. 
Um, and they just have con they just have links, you know, their affiliate mm -hmm. links are within the context. Um, here's something, here's how you travel, or here's where you go, and here's how you can book it with these credit cards. And the credit cards are just linked as bullet points. And yeah. it's worked, and I've signed up for that. The other thing I want to show you, what's interesting, let's see if I can do this while we're both on screen, share my screen with people. And uh, let's see, did it share my screen? No, I got to turn that on. Um, so here's yep. the thing what's interesting is so this is my blog you know and i got my article blah 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 my headline and i put this subscribe to blog by email up relatively high you know i mean it's pretty it's right there in fact on mobile it looks like you have to sign up before you can even read it which yeah. is not the case but what happens is a lot of people sign up because it's right there and so, I mean, is there, I mean, you can test that, of course, right? And I've actually hidden that before and with Google Optimize and on landing pages. But there is value, right? I mean, you tell me what you found is to put stuff that you really want people to see or really want people to do. Like, you want to have that up top or, or no? Yeah, I mean, again, it, it comes down to the testing of it, right? Like, you, you have to determine what you want with your organization. Do you want to lead with the content? Do you want to lead with the opt-in? Like, for me, for example... Um, that's a test that I would absolutely run because my, my main goal is to get people onto my email list and I want to do it in a way that I know that they're engaging. Like for me, for example, with my website, one of the things that I do is I, the only way that they can get into my email list, the only way is if they elect to take a free email course from me, right? It's free, but they have to actually submit their information and take that free email course because um, while yours is definitely good, and I don't know if you have um, confirmed opt-in in there or not, um, but I, I personally don't on mine because they're going right into a course and they know what they're getting. So I think that yours is good. The one thing that you could have an issue with is that um, you can get a lot of people that aren't really all that serious or aren't all that committed to your content or aren't you know, really looking too deeply into it. And they're kind of like, oh, I got to read this, you know, let me put in my email. But then again, you also have quite a few subscribers. So it's kind of hard to say. Uh, it, it's really based on where, you know, you're getting revenue from and what your your main goals are. Uh, because for some organizations, they may not want to have uh, an email thing there at all. They may want to have, hey, uh, sign up here for a free trial, right? It really just depends on what you're leading with. But yeah, that definitely works, especially you brought up a really good point. Um, paying attention to mobile versus desktop is definitely a very important thing. Uh, and that can actually be a really big deal. So uh, yeah, with you, I'll give you props on it. That's uh, quite, quite a few signups and that's obviously a good thing. Um, but yeah, it just depends on what you're doing. Like me, I'm pushing them to a course, affiliate offers, other courses. You, if you're, if you're just keeping them aware of your blog and telling about new posts and trying to keep the audience engaged, it's a different use case. So you just have to you know, decide based on what your organization is and what the goals are. So what's interesting about that, what you said too, it's not always the numbers, right? So if I got huge numbers, but they're not the relevant audience, why do I care? Why do I care that I, you know, it's like I'll show an ad to people that would never buy my product. Who who cares? Waste yeah. of money. So I think that's something. But but then I think we have probably the pressures, right? In the real world, uh, marketers are pushed more and more to get where are the results, where are the results. Mm -hmm. um, so we kind of have to set those expectations, I guess, to an extent as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I would say to that point, so it, it's funny that you mentioned that because um, some people will, you know, like if you look for like an online course on email marketing, you'll see a course on, you know, I got, you know, 300,000 subscribers to my email list, blah, blah, blah. 
I I look at that person. I'm like, are those 300,000 people really that interested in what you have to say? Because here's the thing. With an email list, you have to pay for all the subscribers, right? So I'm not a fan of paying for people that aren't, uh, aren't actually engaging. So what I do every single month, I actually go into my email list and I'll clean out all the inactives. I do it once a month. Uh, and I'll clean out the, all the inactives who haven't opened an email in over 30 days. And I just clean it out. Uh, and I do that in an effort. I'd rather have a, a trim and slim down version of an email list that's very engaged versus a huge, you know, 100,000, 200,000 people email list that's not very engaged. Uh, to your point on, you know, hey, in the, in the real world organizations, you know, if you're in a marketing department and, you know, a C-level executive is like, hey, how many email signups are we getting? How many prospects are we getting into this? Um, yeah, I definitely think, I mean, that's where you have to really work on the strategy and almost kind of test out your strategy and your funnels to figure out how can we take them, you know, from maybe just like a browser and we have that pop up right at the top. How can we take them from that into the journey all the way to being a customer versus, you know what, let's just going to offer or let's offer like this free course of this PDF. We know that we'll get less signups, but the conversion is much higher. Right. So I think that that comes down to testing out the strategy and such. I think that's another reason why the why the relationships are so important, because I mean, I remember I had CEOs literally come to me and they say, we need to make it a goal to have more Twitter signups or more. Fa we got to build our Facebook following. And this was right at the time. I know why they were saying it. I don't I don't feel bad about that. They said it. But it was right at that time when it was right when Facebook put like the algorithms in. And mm -hmm. that, you know, they weren't even showing and they were still on the older model, which I don't blame right. them. They can't know everything the second it happens. But then I brought it up. Why? Why do you want that? And now there exactly. are some reasons why you do. Right. Because if your goal is to look like you're big. Yeah, certainly that could show it. Right. But if your goal is to reach more people, you're better off running some ads because Facebook doesn't show it to anybody. But they yeah. but you have to have that relationship. So talk about cleaning out your email list. I know it seems like we're going off a little bit of topic, but but this is interesting stuff, uh, in my opinion. So if you have any comments, guys, I am monitoring them here on uh, directly in the Restream app. Um, feel free to leave them on the different networks. If you're listening on the podcast channel, send me an email, ctramp at gmail.com. We try to follow up um, after the fact. But so you're a fan of cleaning out your email list. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so the, so I use active campaign. Um, I can't speak for every email platform out there and, and kind of how this all works, but I use active campaign. Uh, and what I basically do is, uh, the first, not necessarily the first, but like the first or second or third of the month in the beginning of the month, I will look at my email list. I'll look in the last 30 days. Okay. Um, what I do is I try to find people that were sent an email, uh, or I'm sorry, were sent all the different emails that I did and never opened an email. Uh, that's basically what I'm looking for. And I usually will send out, you know, probably about four emails a month, uh, sometimes a little bit more, but usually once a week is what I do. Um, and if nobody even opened my email the entire month, uh, then I usually just say, okay, they're not that engaged with me and I'm going to unsubscribe them. Some people probably think I'm crazy for that because they think, well, that person, you know, they might be, they might be just working on something else and, and kind of distracted. It's like, well, if they're really not that interested every week before straight weeks, they're probably not that interested in me. And I'm fine with removing them from my list because like I said, uh, owning your own email list, you're paying for all those contacts. And while it's great, you know, I could probably have an email list of 20, 30,000 people at this point, um, but I have significantly less than that uh, because I like to clean it out and make sure that anybody that's not active is just off my list. Now, 
the thing that's interesting or you know specific to me is I'm really focused on creating and engaging with my my audience. I also push them pretty hard within my email list to go join our uh, Facebook community. I have a Facebook community as well, so I push them pretty hard to join that. Uh, I just started that pretty recently, but um, in that push, you know, I'm really trying to engage with them, and I want that engaged community that is connecting with me and is connecting with each other. I'm not looking for, and this depends on the company and the individual. I'm not looking for the people that are kind of browsing and they're following me and you know 20 other people. I want the people where I'm one of the the top people that they're following and want to engage with top three or top four, and they're really becoming part of the community and getting involved. So that's what I'm looking for. Uh, like I said, if you're an organization, it might be great to have 10,000 you know email uh, subscribers if you have an ability to push them towards, you know, free product or something like that. But in my particular case, in my business, that just doesn't make sense. So once again, it always comes back to what's your goal? What are you trying to accomplish? Um, and that's also when you test something, right? You should figure out what are you trying to do? What's the point? Um, yeah. And also be realistic. I mean, I'm always shocked, Ron. I just saw a thing the other day. I don't remember who published it, but um, the the low numbers of SEO traffic for B2B websites you know the 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 top performing post gets like 47 views or something like that from organic in a month but if they're relevant right why do i care why do i need 2 million if my my audience doesn't even have 2 million people in it i think yeah. that's the, right yeah it's it's all it's all that's the thing is there's a lot of um a lot of hubbub and 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 things on like vanity numbers vanity metrics uh it cuz here's the thing you could have an email list of 100 people that could be worth $100,000. If you had a really good email list that was really engaged, you could do that with a software company as an individual, you could do that. That's possible. Is it probable? No, I mean, that'd be pretty difficult to hit. But my point is, is that you could technically do that. So instead of focusing on, you know, let's cast a really wide net and get all these people that aren't really qualified, aren't really what we need. I don't take that approach. I really say, let me cast this net in this area, and this is my area, and I'm gonna to try to own this area, and everybody else can get all these hundreds of thousands of subscribers and all this other stuff. That's great, and it'd be cool to grow that large, but I, the way I'm focused is, you know, like my own website. Right now, I've been focused on signing up people who are interested in starting a blog, right? They're getting, they're just in the early, early stages, they don't really get it, and I'm using content marketing to bring them in to sign up for my email list. Uh, I've been doing that, and then I created a post a post on like how to make money on YouTube. And then I thought, oh shoot, I should probably create an opt-in for that and have a separate email series that's focused on that. Uh, so now I've got, you know, this, this one over here with the blogging and I'm about to launch, I haven't launched it yet, I'm about to launch the two-headed monster. And the other one is like the nine YouTube secrets, whatever people who are trying to create a YouTube channel. And eventually, like I said, I'll try to do retail arbitrage and all these other uh, channels and I'm purposely segmenting them in that way because they're very different people. You know, I don't want to talk someone who's interested in YouTube. I don't want to sit there and talk their head off about, you know, Hey, let's do blogging. That's not really what the focus is. So. Yeah, absolutely. It's always interesting. You figure out what your focus is, who you're trying to reach, why you're trying to reach and what's unique about you. Now, one of the things you talked about, Ron, was multi, I don't even know how to pronounce it. I, AB testing is easy. It's just two letters. Multivariant, is that right? Multivariant? Yeah, yeah usually multivariate testing. Multi, yeah, yeah. so close. Yeah. That's my- Multi, multi, multi. I'm in Chicago, so I don't know. I'm probably, <laughs> I got that's a little my, bit of an accent going. That's my Western European uh, there accent. Go. There you go. Uh, so what's, talk about multivariant. Multivariant, what's like, what's that? How's it different from A-B testing? 
and uh, wh what do I need to know about it? Yeah, so I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll make it like the simplest example I can. So let's say that you have a blog post uh, similar to yours, the one that you had shown earlier. So let's say that uh, we're Christoph, we have our blog, and at the top of the page, we have uh, you know first name, email address, you're telling them, hey, sign up for our email list, and then you have a button, and it's a blue button, okay? A A-B test is as simple as saying, hey, this is a blue button, let's change this to a green button, and then let's test them versus each other. Let's see if for some reason, green performs better than the blue. That's A-B testing. Multivariate testing is where you're getting to a situation to where you're saying, okay, um, you know, we've got the, the opt-in at the top of the screen and we've got this blue button. But what if we move the opt-in to the middle of the screen, not before the blog post, but in the middle of the blog post, and then we uh, adjusted the fields and we asked for their email first and then their first name as opposed to their first name, then their email, right? Which is how it was set up earlier. So let's switch those. And then let's also switch to a green button. So there you're actually testing three different variables. So that's why it's multivariate is because you're testing multiple variables to see if that will convert better compared to. So really the way you can look at it is A-B testing is just a, a small, simple tweak. Usually, you know, hey, let's do this type of uh, opt-in form versus this opt-in form or this opt-in offer versus this opt-in offer, right? It's like a one-to-one. When you get to multivariate, you're, you're, you know, it depends. You can run usually with multivariate, you're running like five different variations. You're really getting more extreme with the layout changes and the uh, opt-ins and things that you're doing. You're getting more extreme, the language that you're used. You're getting more extreme with that. And you're doing those tests in a way to see uh, of the five or however many you're doing, which one is going to convert best. Now, I personally, I will say I'm more of a fan of A-B testing because it's a lot easier with A-B testing to you know, just look and say, okay, we had this one variant or this one variable, we tested it, X beat Y, we're good. We know that that was the winner. When you do multivariate testing, there's still a lot of gray area, right? Because you have all these different variables that you're testing and it's not really definite on which one was the reason why the conversions were so much better, the opt-ins were so much better. So that's really the biggest difference. Um, like I said, multivariate is much more extreme, but especially if you're starting out and you're really not sure, it's absolutely worth doing a lot of multivariate testing to see what actually converts and what will work for your business. Uh, those extreme changes, although they're not ideal, you know, you, you do it in the beginning and then you find the one that wins and then you A-B test on that one, right? Because you already have a pretty good uh, gauge that, hey, this is actually helping with conversions. Now let's do those more subtle tweaks to see how well, how much it helps. Well, I mean, talking about gray area, there's plenty of gray area anyways. And, and even yeah. when you try to explain it to people, I mean, I had somebody around the other day argue with me over, we need shorter headlines, shorter headlines. I'm like, no, they don't have to be really short. But, no. but, but here's what the problem was. We had different definitions. I grew up in journalism. I haven't been in, in B, you know, B to C journalism in, in, in over a decade. But in, what I meant is we don't need two word headlines. Well, that's like yeah. a short headline to me. But a 10-word headline is fine, but that doesn't yeah. seem too short. But he was talking about like a three-deck headline or whatever. So certainly there's always uh, always room to uh, to explain things, and the devil is in the details, so to speak. Um, so if I get started, 
I should do A-B testing first. Is that kind of what you're recommending or, or how do you feel about that? Yeah, I mean, if you're, so are you talking about like just, if you're just starting a blog, for example, or what, like what example do you want me to use here? Or, or whatever is your strategy. So let's say, for example, if I'm if I'm running a, a, a strategy with a webinar, I want people to sign up for my webinar, I got a landing page. Um, you know, I could test like the register button on the top or like the, the author bio on the top or whatever. I mean, there, as you said, there's a hundred options. Um, should I do A-B testing or should I go wild and, and, and try multivariant? Yeah. So in that situation, usually the way that I approach it is I will start out with multivariate testing. Um, and I start out that way because again, you know, you, it's funny because I'll look at pages. I've done this so many times. I'll look at a page and I'll say, okay, this is the version that's going to win. This is the one that looks the best. That's what I think. So I'll run that one. And then I'll do five pretty big variation pages, right? Like layouts all different, buttons different, text different, even some of the 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 content that we put into the page, the copyright uh, is also different. So I'll do all that. And then I'll see which one will uh, perform best from there. I like to do those extreme um extreme changes in the beginning, because I feel like if you run five, you know, or 10, if you can, uh, in there, you're going to see, depending on your volume of traffic, you're going to be able to see which one is really winning compared to the others. And I think that having that, that baseline is really important, uh, to start with that, because if you start, the problem is if you start with a page that you think looks good, right. And then you launch it and then you're just doing a B test, a B test, a B test, you never really know if there was another variation and another format that really would have worked better. You'll never know that because you never even tested it. And it's really hard when you get to the point to where you've done, you know, 10, 15 AB tests on a page. It's really hard to say, oh, you know what? This is great. This page is now converting, you know, 3% more than it used to, but let's go ahead and do a multivariate test and just completely blow everything up. Yes, you can do it, but it's kind of painful. Uh, so, you know, that's, that's why I like to do it in the beginning because you don't know what you don't know. So, you know, do these different variations, all these different types of landing pages, these different looks to them, and then, you know, see which one actually performs better. Uh, the key to this is obviously with any type of testing, you have to have a decent sample size of data coming in to determine with statistical significance that, you know, uh, page A beat page B and C, right? So, I think that that's something for people to keep in mind is make sure that if you're doing all these tests, you know, if you have five, you know, visitors a day to your blog, it's going to take you probably like two years to run that test. So keep that in mind as you want to have some traffic or at least some people coming into it uh, before you're doing all that. If, if you don't have a ton of traffic coming into it, then you can just do, you know, page A versus page B, a multivariate, a multivariate version. So page A is one format page B is another, and then see which of those work. So it depends on the size of the uh, organization. But I think that's something important to say because I would want someone to, do, to hear this, you know, do seven different multivariates, and then they have, you know, seven people a day coming to their blog. It's going to take them a year <laughs> to figure out the right one. Right. And that, I mean, that's always something, I mean, numbers do matter to an extent. You have to have people actually paying attention to you. So it's a little bit of a numbers game. Um, but so my favorite story, Ron, still is when I was at a conference and I said, hey, who should be the digital analyst on your team? And everybody goes, oh, so-and-so and so-and-so and, -so and whatever. And I'm like, let me refresh, uh, re rephrase. Who should be the writer on your team? And everybody goes, the writer. And so everybody was adding the digital analyst to somebody else's job description, right? Yeah. Right there. And so my question is, all this stuff takes time. I started as a writer. Now I'm producing live streams. Now I'm producing podcasts. Now I'm doing video production. I don't do a lot of editing myself, but I still 
like, you know, I don't want to say manage, but like, you know, um, shepherd the thing through, through the process. Um, it all takes time. I mean, mm-hmm. it does. And look, and you know, we go on the live stream. I mean, we have to fix our faces. You know, I got to shave today, put on a nice shirt. I mean, all that stuff takes time. Who is going to do all this testing on a team? I know you mentioned, you know, uh, you do it all. And, and so do I to an extent. But when you have a team, who should who, who should own that, I guess, so to speak? Yeah, I would say, generally speaking, I mean, if you're talking about, uh, you know, there's a company with a, a relatively small marketing department, you know, three, four people, whatever, um, or if there's even larger than that, I wouldn't say that this is uh, usually going to be a uh, like a marketing director or marketing manager, or it could be marketing manager, depending on the size of the organization. But usually, I think that this can go to the lower level folks uh, within a marketing team. And here's why I think that the the marketing manager or director should be the one basically putting the parameters in place saying, okay, you're allowed to test all these different things on the page, right? You're able to do these different things and this. What I don't want you to do is I don't want you to do a full, you know, revamp of the whole page and the, 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 you know, uh, entire way that it's laid out. I don't want you to do that kind of stuff, but what you can do is you can test these different, uh, things, whatever they may be within it. And I think that giving people that freedom um, to do that, I think the junior, you know, the more junior level uh, marketing folks are, they really enjoy that because for them, it's measurable. It's something that they can see. I actually remember my first like internet marketing job I ever got into. Uh, I was at a, a company in Indiana and they sold um, like different natural herbal remedies, that type of stuff. And it was a pretty big online shop. Uh, and I basically, uh, my boss did exactly this. She said, okay here's a page. This is what we have. You're allowed to, and she put, you know, strict parameters in place and said, here's the things you're allowed to do. Here's the things you're not allowed to do and said, go. I think that that's a good idea because marketing directors, marketing managers, they're not just going to focus on that, right? They have a hundred different things they have to focus on. A lot of them take a lot of time and a lot of energy. And I don't think that they're best suited for that. I think those junior level folks, they obviously will have work to do, but I think that they can pay more attention to this and then just report you know, the wins and the losses upwards in the organization to let them know, you know, this month we tested XYZ, this worked, this didn't work and explain kind of why and the theory behind it. I think that's a much better way to report it up that way instead of the marketing manager being, you know, stuck in it all day. You could also, and I know that they do this um, in Facebook quite a bit. They have, I mean, they're obviously on a different level, understandably, but I know what they're doing um, is that they have their developers actually do uh, different layout and different testing things within. They built a, a, a system internally to where they can basically go into a certain country, into a certain segment of that population, and they can say, okay, um, I'm going to test this particular layout or this particular, you know, we're going to remove this button or whatever it may be. And they're going to test that, you know, of 100,000 different people in that country to see how much it impacts it. And they have some serious optimizations going on within that organization that are pretty mind blowing. Uh, I don't know if you've ever read about it, but it's pretty crazy what they are doing internally there. So that's like on an, an extreme version and they have their developers handle it. Uh, but the point is, I think that the person who, you know, at a, at a regular size shop, probably going to be the, the junior level marketing and then they're reporting up and, but they need those parameters. Those parameters are really important. Make sure that you lay those out. 
And at, at the end of the day, I mean, you can empower people, you know, they're going to do better work for you anyways. I mean, we had Michael Brenner on the show who, who famously said that the, the era of the smart jerk needs to be over. And I don't, I don't think anybody ever disagrees with that. Mm-hmm. Um, Ron, my, right. My, my last question, maybe before we wrap it up here, really appreciate your insights. Very, I always learn something new um, from, from all these experts on the show, and you're certainly one of them. You mentioned you go in and you say, hey, I think this one is going to be the best. This is going to work. And I do that too. I love to argue like I'm right or debate like I'm right and listen like I'm wrong. And sometimes that's meaning I'm listening to other people or I'm listening to the data. But how about the people that didn't grow up in that model, right? They grew up in the model that they are right because they got that title. Um, How much work does it take people to get used to that? Hey, the data proved me wrong. And I embrace it. I love it. I love Mm -hmm. being proven wrong. I don't care if I'm wrong or right. It's an evolution. We're we're growing together, right? I mean, let's let's be a team. But but I'm guessing some people have problems with that still. Yeah, if if you're in a career in, in marketing, especially marketing, even you know some sales teams, you have to understand that uh, data is going to win. And I mean, you mentioned false positives, but generally speaking, if you're running if you're running testing correctly, um, and you know it is what it is, data is going to win. And you just have to be humble enough to sit down and shut up uh, because. Here's what I will say, you know, I'll look at, you know, three or five logo designs or something and I'll, I'll post on Facebook because that's like my own way of kind of getting consensus on something. And uh, I usually say, oh, this one wins. And I will say 80% of the time I'm correct, right? And I'm like, yeah, that's one I thought that makes sense. And I'll ask my wife and she's design oriented. And she's like, yeah, this is one. But there's plenty of times on my blog, like, like I said, I, I thought it's called a welcome mat. I thought that was going to win because that's what I've been told, right? All these different online gurus said this is the one that wins. Um, I tested it and you know what, maybe it did win on their, on their blog. Cause that's the thing. You never really know with your audience, what's going to win. Maybe it won with them, but it didn't for me. So I think that having the ability to be humble enough to accept the fact that, you know what, you can have your intuition and you can say, I think, I think, I think, but always, always, always. And I'll tell you executive level folks, they, you know, anybody that's within an organization, they appreciate this. If you say, this is my thought but let's test it. Let's follow data. They're going to love that. Anybody that's higher level says, yes, let's follow data because then they know without any, you know, argument at all, any type of um, thoughts that, you know, yeah, this is going to be the winner. Now I will say that there's sometimes when, and I've heard of this, I've never experienced this when a, a, a high level individual at a company, they literally see the data and they say, this is the data and that's great. And that's how we're winning, but I like this version better. So let's go with this version. And you're kind of perplexed. I've had this, like I said, as like a marketing consultant, I dealt with this a little bit. And you're perplexed because you're like, this, no, like this is the winner. Like this is the data telling you. And sometimes they'll just say, yeah, that's fine. But I like the other version. In that case, you kind of kind of know your place. But uh, yeah, generally speaking, anybody that's in marketing, just be willing to be humble enough to follow data because most executive level people, higher level people, when you say you're following data, that they love to hear that, they want to hear that, and they're happy to hear that that's the approach that you're taking, a data-driven approach. They're happy to hear it, most of them. And guys, if if humble is a trigger word for you and you don't like that term, for it, even if you don't admit it, I also think of it as like, you know, you got to enjoy the journey. I love learning new things. I love seeing what works. Uh, and it is unfortunate to see some of those people when you look at the data and the data tells you one thing and they say, oh, no, I still like that slider on the homepage mm-hmm. with 12 images because I uh, I like it. Um, so Anyway, Ron, it was great to have you on the show. Ron, onehourprofessor.com. Check him out over there. Uh, any other place people should check you out or is that the, the main one? 
Yeah, just, uh, I mean, on my website, onehourprofessor.com. And then if you want to go to, uh, like, if you're interested in the video stuff, just go to YouTube, One Hour Professor. You can find me there too. But yeah, same same branding across the, uh, the, whole, de the whole deal there. So Fantastic. Thanks, everyone, for watching. Thanks, Ron, for joining us. And thanks, everyone, for listening. If you're listening on the podcast channels, if you're listening on the podcast channels, make sure you connect on LinkedIn, Twitter, et cetera, um, so you can catch these live streams. They usually run a few weeks before the podcast. I'm Christoph Trapp. Until next time.